About a year ago, my sort of alma mater, San Francisco Art Institute, was doing a gala and they asked their alumni to create art bars. There were about 12 different art bars across the campus and it was for their annual fundraiser. So we had to provide a space where people could come and hang out and feel that they got their, you know, $1,000 yeah. worth or whatever it costs to go to this fundraiser. So it was all kind of like San Francisco high-end people. And I decided that my art bar was going to be a punk rock bar backstage okay punk rock backstage green room and have a band attached to it and a little bar attached to it so i got some friends of mine to play a handful of punk rock songs over and over again and this was part of the backstage is a leather couch completely covered in graffiti (laughs) and we also let people graffiti on it so a lot of this graffiti i don't know what it means yeah there's there's some (laughs) familiar band names on here sure yeah so pussy ride and a flipper um, so Hinkley's uh, was the name of the fake club okay. that I created. Okay. And it, I was very confused when he said Hinkley's. I was, I was nodding. <laughs> you know, pretending no, like it. yeah. I was, I tried to create, you know, I tried to create fake news about Hinkley's yeah. that it was Is that a, a Reagan bar. reference? No, it wasn't a, it was pre-Reagan. It was a gay bar uh, in the Pulp and I had an address okay. for it and everything. And that had started to have disco and then they started to have punk and then they became this punk place. You created an elaborate backstory. And, yes, an elaborate backstory and then they disappeared after a couple of years of like because of fire rules or underage drinking or something. <laughs> totally possible. Yeah. It sounds like a completely <laughs> a plausible situation. Are you able to do these sorts of large scale projects like this? Uh, this was my first really large scale installation. Yeah. I created walls. Also, they wouldn't let me put any nails in the wall okay. of the studio that I was in because it's their, it's their film studio where they film stuff and so I had to, I got a set builder and we created these walls that were not attached to any of the walls in there. No nails were put in their walls. And I did a, a series of tomato du plenty portraits that were kind of taped up, lightly taped up mm-hmm. on the walls, which I eventually sold after that. It was quite a, it was like a four month thing, but they had a compensation for the okay. artists. So yeah. I was paid. Well, when did you transition into this world of fine art? I started, well, I was in, I went to the Art Institute when the Avengers formed. Oh, wow. Okay. In 77. Yeah. Um, I came and then to something else sort of took up your time yeah, for a little while there. And punk rock <laughs> took over my life. So I, visual arts always been something I've been in my mind and yeah. working on. So punk rock took over and then I didn't get back to really to two dimensional art until I decided to go back to school and get my bachelor's. And, and the thing I had the most credits in were, was studio art. So I went back and I got my bachelor's in painting so so the deciding factor was the thing that you were closest to graduating in yeah kind of and then i started painting again uh oil paintings mostly figurative and portraiture and um i can show you some of that later in the house um but this particular installation was something i really didn't have that much experience putting together but i've been in a lot of punk rock backstages so i created like a really shitty spread of food yeah and, and you know just terrible weird combinations of salami and candy and like all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff which those high-end people ate right up and then i created these panels um that were eight feet tall and four feet wide and there was about five of them and i did a couple of huge paintings on them and then also 
plastered punk rock posters all mm. over about three of them and then did paintings on top of that it was pretty good looking yeah it's a pretty good looking room by the time i had it done some of these christmas lights were from that yeah. installation there's only so much filth though that you can actually capture you know you can kind of get the <laughs> veneer of dirtiness well the band was super loud okay. and they were a bunch of people who got together to do this yeah at my asking so they weren't a regular band so they were kind of loud and shitty <laughs> <laughs> and the singers were really dressed up in some crazy ass outfits so i think a lot of people that walked in there probably would have stayed longer if the band wasn't so loud yeah but that was part of it you're backstage and you're hearing the opening acts or whatever and you're just like uh coincidentally i got totally it like being on tour i got totally sick right before that happened and i was they were actually greg from the avengers was going to play a few songs yeah. with him and i was going to jump up and sing a couple avengers songs and i was only out of three sets i was only able to croak out one very terrible car crash do you get stress sick no uh i was actually horribly ill oh okay and it just happened right when this thing was happening yeah. i could not get out of this thing in any way i started to realize as i've gotten older it only occurred to me in hindsight that i'm like why do i keep getting sick around these big events oh my body's shutting down oh yeah yeah well when i go on tour my throat gets crispier and crispier yeah. like it starts to break up because especially the avengers i'm yeah. singing really hard have you been able to kind of work through that i mean have you have you figured out kind of easier methods of singing on your throat um yeah i'm a i'm pretty i'm a much better singer now than i yeah. was in the early days when i was a teen i should hope so <laughs> <laughs> i think the problem is just talking to people at a loud level after the set yeah. or before the set that's where you really lose yeah. your voice because yeah. talking is hard on your voice and then i also did find that coming off of tour about a week later, I would get sick. It just sort of takes a like, while for the microbes to really work post, their way into your system. <laughs> Post-tour yeah. stress sickness or something. Do you find that your history with the band has opened up some venues in the art world for you? Interestingly, the... No. <laughs> <laughs> well, all well, right. No. Next question. No, no, actually, that's true. Because when they ask people for proposals yeah. for um, the art bar, I just thought, oh, I could do this and it would be really kind of easy for me because it's such a familiar thing. But to other people, it's not a familiar thing. Yeah. So it's like, we'll be entertaining, you know, and, yeah. and funny. So that particular installation, yes, definitely having been in the Avengers helped with that. But weirdly, the, the times that I've been in museums... <laughs> Big museums like MoCA in LA and Museum of Modern Art in SF, MoMA. So the times I've been in these museums yeah. actually and doing anything is doing the Avengers or doing my own solo music because they'll call me up and say, you know, we've got this huge show and we're having X play and we want you to play. Huh. Blah, we want your blah. punk band to play our museum, the so, weird world we're living in. Um, yeah, so actually my art has not... You know, I've just really started that a couple of years yeah. ago. I had my first show a year ago in April in Los Angeles at a gallery. So before that, I'd had a couple of pieces in group shows, but that was my first show. So the art world is a tough place, even if you were a famous punk rocker. Our, our first shoot today was in uh, Emeryville. And, you know, we were going to get a coffee around the corner. We walked in this diner. And then slowly dawned on me that it was, oh, it's the guy from Green Day's Diner, and it's named after a Clash song, and this hot sauce is made by the dude from Offspring. 
<laughs> Rudy's. It was actually a wonderful diner, but it was just such a weird moment of like commodification that I couldn't really wrap my brain around. Yeah, yeah. It is one of those things. But because it is a good diner and it's open super late. Yeah. Like nothing else around, you know, nobody's going to complain. I guess, you know, mid to late 90s when that stuff was really starting to kind of trickle up toward the top of the chart. Was that useful to you? I mean, was that kind of a big part of what got people interested in the music again? Yes, maybe that's true. When Lookout asked me about releasing a record, that was in the 90s, right? Maybe 2000, around 2000. Anyway, I think that we benefited from Lookout being super well-known yeah. amongst a certain audience. And, Green Day um, being a big part of that. Yeah. So that was kind of helpful with that one record. And then finally, after decades, uh, the Avengers got the Pink Album back and we got it released because for a super long time it was out of print and being bootlegged. And the person that had run the label that it had been on was like insane and evil and finally died <laughs> but but we had to sue him in a really big way before we got that back and um, we won that lawsuit and then started to release the pink album and once the pink album came out again and people could sort of get their teeth into it there was a certain amount of excitement about that it's one of those records that will just sort of keep selling he was holding on to it but not releasing it just kind of hanging on to it out of spite or we had signed a really terrible deal that sure. kind of <laughs> was like you have this record in perpetuity or yeah. something like that. It hey, just, teenagers. Yeah, idiots. <laughs> Don't ever do that if you're a musician listening to this. So he was planning on selling his whole catalog, yeah. which was all the different records he got people to sign shitty deals with. Can I say shitty yeah, over yeah, yeah, and yeah, over yeah. and over oh, again? Oh, please. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> sorry. I encourage it. <laughs> he was offering that for some really large amount of money, which nobody would really take because they would just look at it and say, well, these deals, they how, they'd give it to their lawyers and their lawyers would argue with his lawyers. And I think he just ended up dying owing his lawyers hundreds of thousands of dollars. Which also is not a good thing. When you work your ass off on a record like that and it just, it doesn't, I literally doesn't go anywhere. I mean, is that, that's got to be heartbreaking to spend all that time on something. Is that to make you kind of back away from making music? Well, that wasn't so much the case with that record. I mean, that record came out after the band had broken up mm. and a bunch of people sort of scraped a bunch of stuff together. Yeah. And it wasn't like the Avengers went in the studio and worked our asses yeah. off. It was just what we had already had recorded and was kind of scraped together. And and that was what you get for the Avengers, sadly. (laughs) Nobody ever recorded us really well. But there's some great songs on that record. And and I don't want to say anything bad about that record. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, But in my own solo career, I have worked my ass off on records. And then just had them on teeny labels and like, had them kind of disappear, go into yeah. the middle of nowhere, which is kind of how I feel about my last album. It came out in 2012, and I recorded it at Fantasy. And you did a fair I, amount of press around it. Put I mean, some most money. of the recent interviews I've seen with you were happening right around that time. Right. Yeah. So, so that was frustrating because I thought that was, you know, one of my best records. Yeah. And of course being my own label for the U.S. and having a little label in Europe did not really help me much. I'm a really slow writer anyway, so it takes me a super long time to to amass enough songs to be on another record anyway, so I'm not sure it's slowing me down. I had a couple albums on Warner's 
I think my best selling record would have been aside from any Avenger stuff would have been some stuff I had on a German label called Normal yeah. uh, back in the early nineties, I guess when I was doing this folk thing and it, it kind of sparked and that's when I got signed to Warner's and then Warner's decided to re-record a bunch of songs. And then all the fans I had in Germany that would have bought my next record were like, we already have these songs. What the hell are you yeah. doing? I think they were quite disappointed, but I bought a house. The very nice one. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Which is now the very nice house. It must be helpful then to have painting and music if you're a slow writer to be able to just sort of hop around a little. When the music's not really coming, you have plenty of other outlets to work on. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> Plus, I have a job. Oh. <laughs> I work at the San Francisco Public Library, okay. the main library. And for the last five years, I've been in the, in the San Francisco History yeah. Center and Special Collections. And I'm forcing them to start the San Francisco Punk Archive. So that's kind of a cool thing. But I've been working at the library part-time for probably 18 years wow. now. Yeah. You enjoy it? It's a fantastic job. It's really great. I don't have to worry about, like, if I cut my finger off and need to go to the hospital, I have it sewn back on because I have health coverage. I guess when I was on Warner's, I didn't have a job yeah. there. I was just, you know, living off the largesse of Madonna and Green Day and all those other people that are on Warners <laughs> for a little while. And then it, then that little dream was over. Yeah. I honestly don't know how people do it. I mean, I've I've had a day job for a long time now, and there was a period in my life where I was... So I'm in publishing, so I've been laid off a couple of times. And th there was a point in my life where I was forced to freelance. And honestly, I, I just I don't know how people do without some sort of structure in life yeah i have very few friends that have actually made a living writing their songs and and making records i mean chuck prophet is one mm -hmm. of them mm -hmm. he they just tour all the time yeah they're always on the road he's That's kind like of his, its own old road dog its own sort of misery and in a way it's great but in another way it's like but that's what Chuck, I guess Chuck loves it, and he's a, he's a really good songwriter, a great guitar player, and, and an all-around hilarious guy. I think it's great, but they're really, you know, the people that I've known throughout my musical career, there's not that many of them that have actually been able to just go ahead, no, have no day job, yeah. just live off of it. Obviously, Green Day, Billy Joe, but <laughs> it's such a balancing act. And most of the people I know that are musicians actually have some kind of other way of making money. I mean, obviously, you're you're willing to make a lot more personal compromises to do it when you're younger and you have the energy and, you know, you're not as concerned about being comfortable in life or not living in squalor. It's, it's right. a lot easier right. to just go full bore yeah. into that. In the Avengers days, when I, I was 19, when the Avengers started, we didn't think about any of that. We We, some of us had jobs actually in the Avengers, but... Basically, all we needed was enough money to pay the rent, eat a little bit of food, and maybe have enough money to gas up the car to drive to L.A. and play down there. We didn't think of it as a career in any in any sense. And I don't know what we thought. I don't know what we thought was going to happen. But every one of the Avengers, aside from myself, has had kids and one or two each, and they had to get jobs and <laughs> face reality. Is that what? sort of facilitated the end of the band oh no 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 we broke up in 79 it was just some stupidity yeah. and nothing nothing in particular was just a bunch like, of 
teenagers people got and... <laughs> interested in other stuff yeah. or I don't know. Nothing dramatic was not my idea, but I didn't really think, oh my God, my first band is the band everyone will forever yeah. know me by. You know, it, I didn't really think I was going to be a career musician. I was still, okay. you know, I was still thinking I was going to grow up and be a painter. So it wasn't the end of the world. No, no. But weirdly, I, I moved to LA and I started working on other musical projects and writing music with different various people and being in this crazy, crazy film that starred the Screamers, Tomato Do Plenty. That took a few years of my life. That was pretty crazy. And all went to hell in a handbasket. I think the film eventually came out in one form or another, and it's you can get it on DVD. That's the story of your life. It eventually <laughs> came out at some point. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. And funnily enough, I was not living. I was living in England, in London, when the Pink Album got yeah. scraped together and put out. And I was not around to sign that really terrible deal yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't until later when i came to san francisco and said hey what's going on with this record you owe me some money and then they said oh yeah it's just signed this terrible deal <laughs> because your bandmates have already signed it so there's no point in you not signing it and i was like Ooh, okay <laughs> what an idiot um yeah i mean just not having the wherewithal to to say i'm getting a lawyer yeah. And I'm going to sue you because I was, you know, living in a car traveling a around America and I just stopped in to get some cash. I was like, okay. You also like when, when you're younger too and you're confronted with a situation like that, you you don't think you can possibly win a legal battle with. Yeah. Not unless you, you know, get some other label to put their money behind your legal battle. That was a, that was sadly a harsh time. And it's so weird because so many people that come to see the version of the Avengers that plays now, which is myself and the original guitarist, Greg, and Joel Reeder, who was in Mr. T Experience, mm -hmm. and Luis Iades from Pansy Division. And we've been playing together for over a dozen years yeah. now. So, like, we're a tight unit. We all love each other and get along really well. But when we play now, people come to shows and they're like, oh, I can't believe I'm seeing you play live. You know, I never thought I'd be able to see the Avengers, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They're all excited. But we almost never run into anyone that says, I saw you play, you know, because they would have to be quite ancient. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a pretty narrow window of time at the end of the day. The band wasn't yeah. really around that long. And no, only two years. Yeah. And then there's tons of people who are like, my parents gave me your record and you are so fan. You know, there's a lot of young women that come and just say, I heard this record yeah. and it just blew my socks off and I love it. And I decided I was going to be in a band. And so it's influenced a few generations of punks, I guess I would say. Is that heartening? Is that slightly depressing when somebody says my parents <laughs> gave me this record? <laughs> how do you, how do you no, react to that? No, because I think that the Avengers appeals to teenagers and it appeals to people who yeah. heard it when they were teenagers and it's also pretty sturdy punk rock yeah. so i just think that means it has some lasting power and it has some substance and if people who are brand new to punk can hear it and like it that's that's yeah. all the better and it's still being pressed it's uh, now it's on superior viaduct i just can't wrap my brain around having to revisit something i did when i was 19 it's amazingly easy to yeah. get up and sing those songs. Sometimes if I haven't done it for half a year or whatever, mm. I'm like, what's going to happen? But as soon as the band starts playing, it's yeah. all right there. Yeah. It's all inside me.
a crazy teenage punk rocker is sitting right in yeah. front of you. There's some rage there that oh, yeah? is still con- that's still contained within me. And you seem, when you seem I get pretty to, placid. <laughs> when I get to get on stage with the Avengers, you you will definitely yeah. see it. I know you've touched on politics. It's never been a primary driver for you, but there's, there 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 have been traces of it in the music for sure. Oh yeah, and throughout the years, yeah. even my later materials, I'm always going to be inspired to write out of disgust. <laughs> Feels worse than <laughs> the political situation. I don't oh. know. It's cyclical. I, oh. I, I'm always, I always want to get people's perspective on this. I haven't even, I haven't even begun to process Wrap this, your brain this latest yeah. cyclical, what is it, rut that we're in. But it's a it nice is, word. That's a nice it, word for it. In a way, it is, it is cyclical. I yeah. mean, look at when we had George Bush for two, yeah. for George Bush Jr. for two, and George Bush. There were things to be pissed off about then. And now it just seems, more outrageous because you hear about it every friggin' day. I mean, Twitter, it's just, you know, Trump tweets. It's <laughs> it's kind of mind-boggling how how easily we're reached with all this garbage yeah. because I remember this when George Bush Jr. got elected the second time. I was like, that's it. I'm fucking turning the TV off and I'm not going to watch any news for the next four years because I can't I can't bear it. I have to go on with my life and And then we all got computers in our pockets. And now it's like right in your face every ten minutes, yeah. the latest tweet, the latest stupid thing, or you know, the latest mass shooting or the you know, the latest disaster. It's it's just really quite overwhelming. So um I haven't even really begun to dig into it yet. And and more power to all the artists and musicians that are just reacting and going for it. But I'm kind of like sitting back and trying to see where yeah. where it's going. Are you able to have the same kind of catharsis in painting that you have in music? Uh, my paintings are really a different expression. Um, I do um, I do figurative and portraits, and my paintings are much more about you know, the human condition hmm. and individuals. I don't really do political paintings per se. Yeah. I'm trying to capture something of the person who's in my painting. And I just, uh, I did a series last year of mugshot paintings, which anyone can see at PenelopeHouston.com. That's my art website. Penelope.net is my music website. But anyway, I did a series of mugshot paintings and there are mugshots that I found um, in the, San Francisco Police Department Records Collection, which yeah. is at, where I work at the library. Yeah. And they're amazing, amazing photographs of people from around 1919 to 1932. And the two books that I was working from, one was Prostitutions and the other one was Muzzlers, which is sex crimes. So I was painting portraits of people who had been accused of either prostitution or sex crimes. And they're just creating a color portrait out of a black and white yeah. photo and trying to get what you can create what you think this person, something about them and their expression. Are, are you trying to recreate it as accurately as possible? Yes, okay. but they are color, whereas the photos are black and white. What do you mean when you say this idea of, of tapping into something about that person? How does that manifest itself in a, a lifelike portrait? I think hopefully people will feel some kind of sympathy for the 
to humanize them. Yeah, to exactly to humanize them. And you know, I as far as I could, I looked up whatever information I could find, like if there was an article about their crime, or if I could find things in, like say, ancestry.com or whatever about their life, where they lived, where they grew up. And in some places, I found whole life stories, and in other people, mm. others, I could find nothing about them. Yeah, so. it's a very different exercise to look at someone's face. I mean, obviously, you have some broader context, you know, what they were arrested for. But the exercise is very different if you have a concrete backstory about this person versus just almost kind of projecting something on someone based on their face. Right. The one of the things that I was interested in is that. With a mugshot, you have a profile and you have somebody looking full face into the mm. camera. And when they're looking at the camera, they're looking at the police officer who's yeah. taking the photo, the police photographer. And when they're looking to the side for the profile, they kind of withdraw into themselves and there's a sort of a more real vision of them. Whereas when they're looking to the camera, back then, there weren't that many photos of people. These, in some cases, might have been the first photos of that person ever was taken. So a lot of the times with the women, they would smile or they would look with some kind of entreatment or something or anger at the camera. There was like definitely they were responding to having their photo taken and having the person look at them and with some of the men as well. And then when you saw the side, the profile, there was a... You could see people just saying like, oh, I really fucked up yeah. now or this is not going anywhere good. You know, yeah. it's just like there's two aspects of them that I'm working from and I'm trying to create a person and their story from that, from having that, those two aspects. Why prostitutes and sex crimes? I think they were just the most interesting ones. Yeah. Um, if you found a bunch of photos of, say, bank robbers mm. or whatever, they're not going to have this expression like, this is completely wrong. I shouldn't be here. They probably got arrested while they were robbing a bank. They're probably guilty. Whereas a lot of the people, like in sex crimes, there was a guy who was arrested for crimes against nature. That means he's gay, right? Okay. I thought you meant he was fucking a tree. No. <laughs> that, would, that would be something else. Pretty sure this guy is gay. And he has this beautiful, beautiful expression. Yeah. He's African-American. And he's just... He's a beautiful man, and he looks really proud, unapologetic. And I just mm. love that. And that was, like, really amazing. And then you see people who've been arrested for something involving a juvenile, and they got a big black eye, and they're just kind of like, you know, when did my life go to hell? <laughs> like, there's just so many stories in their faces. Obviously, I chose the ones which I felt were the most expressive. Some of the women, there's this one woman, her chin's up really high, and she's like, I'm going to be a movie star. And I looked her up, and she actually moved to L.A. Mm. and got married, and was in some movies, some yeah. small parts and stuff. You've got the makings of a short story there. Um, is it possible to convey that sort of, that sense of narrative in a, just like a, a single still image? Well, it's two images. Or, sure, <laughs> but a static image or images. I, I hope that I conveyed some of who these people are as much as they were allowing the photographer to see. But also, obviously, I wouldn't paint anyone that I didn't feel some connection to or yeah. sympathy for. So there's that. Well, people have to look at them and make their own mind. I, I guess it's similar to writing a two-minute song from the standpoint of you've got a lot of constraints on you. You, you have you have a lot a lot that you 
want to tell if you're trying to tell a story and not really a lot of time to do it in. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when people go, say, to a museum or a gallery and they look at they look at the art, how many seconds they spend in front of each work of art. I'm so – oh, God, that, this goes through my brain. I'm standing there and I'm wondering if I'm there for the right amount of time and, what, and if it, this is having the right effect on me. It's amazing. I mean, people will look at something and they'll go, oh – yeah, I connect to that. Or they'll look at it and they'll be just like, next. It's immediate and it's not even like they're thinking, oh, wow, this person's wearing this or their expression says that. You know, it's not, it's it's somehow emotional rather than intellectual in a lot of ways, depending on the art, of course. If it's just words, then it's going to yeah. go through some other part of your brain, I guess. But if you're, if you're looking at a face, your reaction to that face is going to be an emotional reaction, I think. Um, if you're looking at a scene of people rioting or something, then you might start using your intellect or just painting some words or whatever. Yeah, the amount of time people spend with that is is so short. And I guess it's the same with songs. People will listen to songs within, I don't know, a few seconds. They're going to be like, I want to listen to this whole song. Or they're going to be like, I want to skip to the next song. Nobody ever has to listen to a whole song anymore. Nobody gets their songs off of the radio anymore. You know, it's always like fast forward. There's always the opportunity to fast forward. When you're making a painting, are, are you thinking of who the audience is going to be, who's going to interact with it? Obviously, the way you interact with the painting is different than a song, and songs are meant to be mass produced. There's some degree of this with your art and that they go online, but in a sense, like that original object is, you know, hanging in a gallery somewhere. No, I don't think that. And and I don't think that when I'm making a song either. I don't think about the audience or the listener or the viewer. I just am doing it for my own reasons. Yeah. To make it somehow express something that I'm thinking about or interacting with that image or the person if it's painted of a person I know. Like we were talking about earlier, it's it's heartbreaking if it you work on something for a long time and it just doesn't make it out in the world, or at least it doesn't make the splash that you want it to make. Oh, I think that's something that every artist and every musician probably struggles with, is that you can't really plan on what's going to happen to your art. You just yeah. have to make it and then see what happens. Obviously, if you're writing a song for a Broadway musical then you have a plan for that yeah. and it can't exist without a lot of people putting a lot of time and yeah. money into it becoming a Broadway musical, you know? It's a lot more likely to fail because it's such a narrow pipe. There are so few, you know, Broadway shows versus... But also when you're writing a song for a Broadway musical, you're planning, you know, you you want to have it hit whatever yeah. notes are going to work for that. Sure. That's like craft perhaps. A little manipulative, so, maybe. Yeah. If you were a craftsman and you were creating art that you were going to sell to a specific audience, like I'm painting seascapes and mm -hmm. I'm going to sell them in Carmel to a certain audience yeah. who are tourists who want to remember this by buying yeah. seascape, then I think that's craft. But if you're an artist or a musician who's not writing for Broadway... Oftentimes, you don't have a plan for it. You just start creating it, and it goes where it goes, mm. or it's in your closet. She said, pointing, <laughs> pointing to, to, pointing to where her, her closet, house. I assume, is. <laughs> is music the same way from, from the standpoint of if you felt like 
if you felt like there wasn't an audience, and, and this has certainly ebbed and flowed quite a bit in your career, but if you felt like this wasn't going to make it onto an album, or you felt like maybe at this point in your career people didn't particularly care or want to hear it, would you still be driven to make that music? I think that I personally work best if I have deadlines, people pushing me. Um, and since I'm not on a label and I don't have to put out albums at any particular rate, It'll like, happen when they happen. It happens when it happens. And um, in some ways, if I was doing what Chuck was doing and I didn't have a job and I was making my living touring and writing songs and doing new records and stuff, then I would be writing a lot more songs. I could just say that pretty truthfully. Have you regretted not attempting to really make music that full-time thing? I did attempt to make it that full-time thing when i was on warners i was touring around europe and the u.s and i was really trying okay (laughs) i was trying real hard (laughs) i know i feel like i have tried i i have tried to make it happen and interestingly um the avengers which i still play out with we're still doing it we're still you know when there's opportunities and everyone can get away from whatever their life is turned into then we get together wherever in the world and we play and it's always super fun. But obviously if we didn't have the commitments that we have mm. now as, as human beings, the Avengers could be touring probably a lot, you know, all over the world just because Do you feel like the interest level is still there. I feel like the genre of punk is still yeah. popular enough that you could just keep doing it and if that were the case you know we might end up creating songs and recording new albums but i've always felt a little funny about that not about doing that without the original lineup but i mean look at x they play a lot but they don't play all the time they also have their own separate things they're doing we have another generation of rock stars who have some sort of blueprint of what it looks like to get older playing music whether gracefully or not some certainly more gracefully than others but punk being at its core such a sort of young person genre mm-hmm. i had you know members of like mission of burma on the show and i had to ask them the question too because you know they they were not together for a very long time and they got together did it feel strange or is there a point where it can potentially almost feel sort of silly you know getting up there and playing punk songs for me personally when i'm there and i hope the the audience also understands yeah. that is that it turns into this immediate performance of what it was 40 years ago yeah. whatever it's kind of an amazing thing it's like the music carries me my rage and anger that yeah. i felt as a 19 year old is just right there that's your sort of driving <laughs> force right there is the well, <laughs> No, not exactly rage, but just there's there's some kind of joy also in energy. the music. Yeah, there's this energy that the music brings out in yeah. me and that, that is provided to me and to the audience and to the other people playing. And it's um, kind of undeniable. If people want to ap- appreciate that now and they want to go out and see it yeah. and pay money to see it, that's great. And if they want to buy the record and listen to something that is 40 years old but still has this vitality then that's also great if they want to start their own band and do it themselves and feel it themselves that's all the better i guess in some ways when you look at popular music and you see what have been the most interesting things that triggered new ways of thinking about music or about culture after punk really there's just been hip-hop and rap and there hasn't really been a super original new thing that's come up 
there's been tons of amazing music and original electronic maybe some yeah but it's like that hasn't broken through i don't think i mean unless you're talking about dance yeah i'm I don't know. Certainly in Europe, there's all but... these new there's all these new performers and bands and at a certain point it just get it's you just don't like have the attention span to keep track exactly yeah and then people will be like oh he's Saint Vincent yeah well, you know or whoever and I'll look it up online and I'll be like mm, okay yeah I see where there's interest in that I see where there's something happening but it, not to speak of that artist particularly I just it's like it's not mind-bogglingly original like I remember when PJ Harvey came around and yeah. I was and everyone was like oh my god and I said Patty Smith yeah you know it's like th- this is great stuff and it's cool but it's not like some mold was broken and <laughs> something brand new came out the thing about it that that like that really puts it in perspective for me and this is coming from a really strange place is when i go and watch youtube videos of old songs you know from 50s 60s 70s 80s whatever regardless of the era that it was produced in and the genre you will get the same comments on each of them which is why don't they make music like this anymore music is so bad this was the last good music and it'll be like it'll and it'll be like a hall and oats song or something and people will say uh, that yeah never read comments that's that's basically but but, it, but i mean it's an interesting you know it's kind of an interesting perspective on that and that like every like everyone everyone kind of feels that way <laughs> yeah but at the same time people will write comments like oh this person can't sing yeah like that is so not the point yeah you know if you're listening to darby crash yeah. it's like Hello. Context is really difficult on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Context has been kind of blown to hell because there's just so much history and there's just so much. That's why I I just barely even pay any attention to anything anymore. As wonderful as something like Spotify is for just like having all that music there, it, it completely obliterates context. Yeah. there. I've known people who said, oh, I can't listen to college radio because it's too eclectic <laughs> and it's like now it's the whole world is yeah in some ways is too eclectic that's and in and i think that that's why there are certain record labels or record stores or whatever that have developed followings because somebody else is curating Curation, yeah. that what you're hearing for you and they're people who have really put a lot of thought into it hopefully if they're any good and um so there's that idea. I mean, obviously, you've got your podcast that people will listen to it because other ones you've done yeah. have had interesting people and interesting questions. So you get a following. But yeah, it's hard to, you can't count on anyone to have context when they listen to what you've done or look at your painting or whatever. You can try to supply it or you can just put things out there. Do you see yourself always making music? I see myself probably always performing writing music has kind of gotten more difficult i think you have to really make an effort to do it you have to make the time to do it and that might happen again for me you don't i love no i love performing i love singing and i love singing my the punk rock songs of the avengers but i also love singing my own work which is more recent and there's something about that There's something ephemeral about performance that is when you're in the same room as another person and you're hearing them perform. It's great. It's fantastic. So, yes, I probably will keep doing it. 
There you go. That was Penelope Houston. Recorded that one at her house in Oakland. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Very much enjoyed that conversation. You can check out her artwork at PenelopeHouston.com. Check out the Avengers and her solo stuff over at Penelope.net and find her latest album on Market Street. They've also got a bunch of shows coming up. They will be playing Riot Fest in Chicago in September. Thanks a bunch to her. Thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's very helpful when it comes to getting guests in the future. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. And if you have any feedback, it's rylcast.com cast at gmail.com thanks a bunch for listening and stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl 